Welcome, welcome to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox, episode four. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and this week is, it's going to be a mini episode because if I'm being honest, my mom is in town and she lives 3,000 miles away in Massachusetts, so when she's here, I try to maximize my time with her as much as possible. There is a tendency for people in my industry, ambitious young people trying to get their fledgling podcast career off the ground to put work above family. And I struggle with that a lot because for the most of my career, I have felt that if I took too much time off or I requested the wrong weekend or I called out the wrong day, that somehow my bosses or my work would think that I was replaceable or that I would make it clear that I wasn't needed. And so I have this very weird fear of missing work. And because I am a minority in the field that I work in, there is a constant desire to make sure that people know how hard I'm working. You know, there's a lot of overcompensation, I think, that women do in sports in terms of not working harder necessarily, just being afraid to act normally within a job, you know, to take, you know, even when you have paid time off, even, you know, men and all kinds of people feel this stress in this industry. Women aren't the only ones, but I definitely feel like I take it on more. So I've learned as I've gotten older and been so far away from my family and had so little opportunity to spend the amount of time with them I want that when the time is there, I need to prioritize it. So that's what I'm doing. Kobe and Gianna Bryant's memorial was yesterday, and that was pretty impactful. So the big thing today that I really want to go over is the demystification of the lunch pail mentality in professional sports, specifically in the major sports where players are often courted and make a lot of money, even in the NFL. Uh, It's a topic that was broached today on Twitter, and... I thought I made a pretty standard point and it seemed like a lot of people were offended. So I want to explain myself further about what that really means. The idea of the lunch pail mentality in these billion dollar corporations and organizations where the lifestyle is usually pretty wealthy and pretty upper class. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what I meant by that so that we can work through it together as host and listener. And of course, stick around till the end for my rant. This one is probably the most relatable one I've done so far. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So first, why don't we start off with the little Twitter controversy I find myself embroiled in currently. That stuff coming up. There is an NFL prospect who referenced the idea of wanting to play for the Patriots at the scouting combine today. And it was a really innocent comment. He said that he felt that they had a lunch pail mentality in New England, and that's the type of team he wanted to play for. So I pointed out on Twitter in response to that comment that the owner of the Patriots is a multi-billionaire. The coach of the Patriots is a gajillionaire who vacations on Nantucket. And the face of the franchise for players, Tom Brady, is... Well, obviously, is one of the wealthiest athletes in the world, but he's also a guy who created his own boutique sports therapy and fitness brand, moved it into Patriot Place, brought his own personal fitness guru with him, uh, endorses very high-end exclusive products. So my point was that 
there are a lot of things and the Patriot way and the work ethic that is encouraged in that locker room and in that entire facility and in that organization is renowned for a reason and it's admirable, but they are by no means a lunch pail organization. They are quite wealthy and quite elite and the players that come into that system are, yes, asked to do a high level of work in order to win championships and be successful, just like any good job it asks of their employer. And I got some pushback on the idea that that I should not be criticizing an obvious sports cliche because the idea that hardworking, grinding organizations and players who really value the locker room atmosphere and the never quit attitude. Those are lunch pail places. And obviously I know that. I know it's a sports cliche. I know it's a tired kind of old school term for teams and organizations and groups of people who come in and grind and they come in ready to work. I guess part of my problem with using that term, and I wouldn't say it's a problem, but the thing that I was pointing out was that that's not even what the Patriots are. You know, it's a place where when you work there, you are part of the upper class. You're part of an exclusive group of people, not only working in the NFL, but working in one of its premier destinations. And I think, I just think it's kind of like silly and disingenuous and kind of like goofy to be like, yeah, I'm going to go like grind it out with the Patriots and Tom Brady. Like, okay, this isn't Cincinnati, you know, Cincinnati literally doesn't, I don't even know if they, they, those people might actually have to bring their own lunches. I am not kidding. I don't even know if they feed them there. And if they do feed them there, I'm not sure that they actually get quality food. I'm not fucking kidding. If you said, if Joe Burrow said he thought the Bengals were a lunch pail crew, I wouldn't, I, I swear to God, I wouldn't have said this. But I think it's just a lot of lazy speak to talk about like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go grind it out there. Like, yeah, you are going to grind it out. But I mean, that's like the difference between being like, oh, I'm going to go work for Apple or my friend's startup. Like one, you're probably bringing your own lunch. The other one, you're most definitely not. And I'm pretty sure you can take a nap in a hyperbaric chamber if you want. You see what I'm saying? It's a little bit of a difference. So that kind of spiraled out of control into this whole conversation about how work ethic is related to wealth. And I made the mistake kind of of using myself as an example for hard work. I probably shouldn't have done that because... I am privileged in many ways in my job. I get paid very well. My fiance gets paid very well. Um, We can't afford a house. You know, I've struggled paying student loans and things like that, but we also live a pretty good lifestyle in Los Angeles. It's very hard to buy a house in LA because the housing market is so expensive that you actually do have to be rich in order to buy a home here. Um, But like, you know, I'm not the example of the ultimate lunch pail worker. My point was that I am a uh, middle-class person in Los Angeles working really hard and still not being able to achieve the, uh, the full sort of like quote-unquote American dream, right? Take care of my family and like not have to worry about money, like to, to have my worries be outside of, of finances. I do worry, you know, and, and I think most American people do. And I think that when you're in a, in an industry or in a profession where the ceiling is, you may never have to worry about money, like being a professional athlete, it's just, there's something a little disingenuous about using these, these like hard work scrapping terms. And of course I know NFL players work their asses off. 
many, many of them come from low-income families, and they work themselves up to a place where they can go play in the NFL. And that they should be compensated that way. To work as hard as you have to work to get into the NFL and then to risk your health and safety on the job should allow you a very good living. It's like being an oil rigger. It's hazard. It's a hazard to play football. So I've always said, I think they should have hazard pay. That's, that's why they're paid so much because it is a dangerous thing that they're doing for a job. My problem is that it's also a situation where the opportunity to play football allows many, many people to jump the class system into the upper class and provide in a way that most of the world and specifically most of America can't in the jobs that they do work. So all that's all I was trying to point out was like the hardest working people I've ever met, the people who get up and go to work every single day to do a job to provide for their family that still leaves them without healthcare that they need or still leaves them without the time off that they need or the sick days that they need and they just they just grind it out. The people that whose wives or husbands or partners pack their lunches in the morning, the people who save their extra money so that their kids can take soccer lessons or dance classes. That is a level of hard work that you lose when you achieve wealth. When you no longer have the burden of not being able to provide for your family, you don't have to be the same kind of hard worker. I'm sorry. Like, I, and I, I guess maybe it's part of the political climate is what's making me feel like this, but there's something that's happened where the uber wealthy and the uber successful and the people with the most opportunities are the people we hold up as the pinnacles of success and hard work and work ethic. And maybe they are, maybe they are, you know, but they aren't wealthy because they worked harder than other people. Maybe they're in an industry that has a higher financial ceiling, a higher pay ceiling. Maybe they got a little lucky. Maybe there were some grace and blessing along the way. Maybe they were born into some sort of opportunity. All these things, nothing to hate about it. I just think that we've gone a little too far when we're calling the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and Tom Brady the lunch pail crew. That's all. I know that's a little cynical, but I'm just telling you that's how I feel. But I do, you know, it was important that I clarify that I understand that I am super lucky and I am pretty blessed and I live a very privileged life. And certainly I am, you know, I bring my lunch from home. I bring my coffee from home. I save here and there when I can, um, but I'm certainly not wanting for anything in my life. And so, you know, maybe I shouldn't have used myself as an example, but you live, you learn. And I was definitely in a weird mood on Twitter today and I was just getting into it. So, you know, here we are. I do think that watching the two hour funeral for Kobe and Gianna yesterday definitely it did something to my mood that I think might have carried into this morning. It was really beautiful and lovely and honestly a great representation of just the love in a family regardless of their wealth or their status or their power in the culture. Just the love of a family. How could you not be so incredibly moved by Vanessa getting up there to talk about losing her daughter and her husband and the way she spoke about them. It was just really impressive. I have buried someone in my immediate family in the last year and it's been brutal. 
it's been a brutal 10 months of my life for me and for my family. And watching something like that yesterday, it can be both soothing and comforting and triggering, right? So I'm sitting at my desk like crying watching Vanessa. Everybody's crying. I'm crying. And she just did a really beautiful job. And I think that she's a special person to have been able to do that specifically because I think she did it because she knows how much Kobe meant to a lot of people in the city and around the country and around the world. And she honored Kobe and Gianna's legacy that way because they meant so much to people, you know, and she knew that. And so she did it for them. And it was really lovely. I was texting with one of my best friends who is a Los Angeles native and a lifelong Lakers fan who has been definitely super shaken by Kobe's death. And we were talking about how watching that funeral felt like it was like this weird fever dream or one of those scenes from a movie where like the character is on an acid trip or something and imagining a scenario that's like as wild as possible you know seeing all these celebrities celebrities from Los Angeles so many iconic basketball players so many important people spanning generations the speakers were so interesting and diverse in terms of their impact on Kobe's legacy and vice versa and Gianna's legacy and vice versa Vanessa's choice and who to speak It really showed not only how well she knew her daughter and her husband, but how intricately she understands what they mean to the people who loved them from afar, right? For me, the most impressive thing about Kobe Bryant was those last four or five years of his life, post-playing, becoming the father he became, championing women and women in sports, challenging himself to be an ally to a group of people he hadn't been an ally to in the past, and hearing from Diana Taurasi, who is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, probably the best WNBA player of my generation, hearing from Sabrina Ionescu, who was not only one of Gigi's favorite players, but also one of the greatest college basketball players of all time, still going, still in the midst of this incredible run. Someone that Gigi had as a role model in this era, partly because her father inspired young players of to follow their dreams and work their asses off. It was, what a beautiful circle. And even when Gino Oriema got up, you know, he doesn't have a reputation for being a particularly likable guy. He's a great, all-time incredible basketball coach, but... He's definitely a kind of a dick, and his speech was really perfect. It was pointed enough that he seemed like he was being true to himself, but he really made it about Gianna and about her relationship with her father as a dad and not as Kobe Bryant the superstar. Hearing from Michael Jordan? I mean, I can't remember the last time I heard from Michael Jordan in a meaningful way like that. Not since maybe his Hall of Fame speech. And even then, you know, obviously we know that was iconically uh, (laughs) insane and and extremely derisive toward a lot of people in his life. This was Michael (laughs) doing his very best to give credit to someone other than himself. He didn't always fully get there. He definitely kept it about (laughs) the idea of his impact on Kobe. But he did eventually get around to the impact that Kobe's had on him. And that was really fascinating to watch. Also, he acknowledged the crying Jordan meme, which was just, it was such a weirdly exciting thing to happen in the midst of a, of 
such a heavy moment. You know, there was, it was the zeitgeist crumbling in on this really special time that felt, it felt removed from real life until he did that. And I know he didn't do it on purpose necessarily, but it, it had this, this effect of not, not necessarily lightening up the mood, but bringing a vitality, I guess. It was just a really unique experience. I'm not sure there will ever be anything like that again. I certainly hope there isn't. You know, hopefully I never see anything like this again. And it is isolated because that would mean that all the people who we'd ever want to do this for live long, full lives. But it was definitely a unique experience. And it made me think about my relationship to Kobe in the past. And there were a lot of times where I thought, why is Kobe so overrated? You know, I thought that out loud in my head. I had conversations about it like... He's an amazing basketball player, but if you talk to somebody in LA, you'd think he created the heavens, truly. Is Kobe the greatest of all time? Is Kobe better than LeBron? Will LeBron ever, and it was always like, well, he was a really good basketball player. He was a badass. He got in the conversation for like, you know, top five for a while there. And maybe he still is in that top five for a lot of people. I would understand, I would understand that. But like, then he was winning Oscars. And Dear Basketball was, it was great. It was moving, but did it really deserve an Oscar? And it was just like he was everywhere all the time. And it always seemed like all of his accomplishments were exaggerated by his mystique and his, the myth of Kobe and the myth of the Mamba mentality. And I, I'm not lying when I tell you I was always super puzzled by it. It's like 60 points in his, fi- in his final game. And, you know, there was, oh, it was always like, all right, I get it. Like, He didn't score 60 points in his final game because he was, like, playing incredible basketball. It was because everybody wanted him to score a bunch of points in his final game. You know, and I would always have these conversations. So if you'd asked me two months ago who had had their, you know, life's accomplishments the most exaggerated of all of the athletes of this era, I probably would have said Kobe. But now it feels like destiny. It feels like all part of one story. If you believe in destiny, if you believe this was always going to happen, then you understand why all of those moments, those Kobe moments were so outsized and big and important and why his daughter was allowed to come up and thrive the way that she was, to have a spotlight, to be special, to have that special relationship with her father in front of her eyes. None of that would have happened if some of those Kobe accomplishments weren't so over the top worshiped, right? It all happened for a reason. And now that he's gone and Gianna's gone, we can think, think back on all those iconic moments and really love them and appreciate them and appreciate the lore that has been built up around them. This was meant, it it was meant to be. That's been kind of cool. Shall we? Finally, what do you do when someone is a bad waiter or waitress? Because I had the most stereotypical bad waitress experience yesterday at one of uh, my mom and I's favorite happy hour spots in Santa Monica. And this girl just had absolutely no business being a waitress. She had no personality for it and she definitely didn't have a rhythm for it. She was very stressed and very busy even when it was dead. So when it got really busy, she was totally outmatched even once there was more help, right? You guys have all experienced this. It's like, 
you can have like a kind of a crappy personality if you're a good server and you're efficient and you're, you know, you're coming back, you're checking, you're t clearing plates, you're asking, you know, making sure everything's all good. Or you can have a great personality and be super personal and very nice to be around and be kind of a bad server, but your personality makes up for it, right? But when you have neither, that's such a conundrum. And so we waited, like, we waited an inordinate amount of time to have our check taken. And it got to the point where I had to, it was probably like 20, 25 minutes after we'd put out our cards to try to get the bill. Still no one had come. She was just running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And I had to go to the manager. And I felt so bad because I knew that she was going to end up getting in trouble for this because I've been a waitress. I know how this works. And I don't want, like, if someone's doing a job they hate that they're not good at, I don't want to pile on by making it worse. I just want to pay my bill and get out. Like, the drinks were good. The food was good. It was fine. Not, not good service. It happens. And so I was in this conundrum where I'm like, I don't want to make this worse for you, but I got to get home. And I'm just not one of those people who thinks that, like, if you're a waitress and you're not good at it and you don't have the personality for it, then you're doing that job out of necessity. I don't want to take money out of your pocket, but I also don't want to tip you based on excellent service because then it sort of takes away from all the great tips to excellent servers who are actually really good at their jobs. You know, I'm not going to tip 20, 25% on bad service when the great service really deserves it, right? But this, so it's like this catch 22 of like, so I, I still tipped 18%. I don't know. I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. I guess that's why I'm ranting because it's like, she worked. She was working. She wasn't killing it. She wasn't doing a great job, but she was working. She deserves to get paid for it. And I did used to be a waitress and I worked as a bar barista forever um, through high school and college. And just like I customer service is hard. You know, food service is extremely hard. And I know a lot of times that managers are the worst people of all. You know, they make you feel bad. They hire people who aren't experienced and then hate you for not doing your job very well. These things can all happen. It can become a snowball effect. So I would just, I guess the moral of this story is you can tell me if I'm crazy. You can tell me if I'm wrong. You can tell me if I should have acted completely different. But also, if you haven't thought about these things when you have shitty service, maybe think about it next time. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if someone's doing a shitty job at a job they clearly don't like, who's the real loser in that in that exchange? You know, do you want to punish them more by not by like making their day miserable and like not giving them money? Because that doesn't seem like you're putting anything good out in the world at that point, you know? All right, well, this was kind of a weird episode, but some some weeks are fun and exciting. Other weeks, you're getting in trouble on Twitter and there was a huge funeral that you had to watch, you know? I can only deliver the content I am provided by the, by the sports world. And, you know, the combine and a truly brutal funeral, that's what we're working with here. Hopefully by next week, the uh, kind of heavy cloud that still hangs over LA is gone and... You know, we'll be further into Mercury retrograde, so people won't be as thrown off. People will be in better moods. Perhaps I will be in a better mood. I'm just kidding. I'm in a great mood. Guys, you know you know how this goes. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I will be back with you next week. In the meantime, hit me up on Twitter at ShamelessTRF and at Tanya Ray Fox. Same thing over on Instagram. Subscribe, rate, do all of it as long as you like me and want to give me five stars. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. Okay, love you. Bye.